Hello and welcome to 20 Tim Minutes, a podcast that focuses on mental health in a serious but yet humorous way. Listen as I interview a wide variety of guests where we show our support as well as sharing our own personal struggles and stories with mental health. I am your host, Tim McCarthy, and now it's time to talk about it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're tuning in to another episode of 20 Tim Minutes. I am your host, Tim McCarthy. Today, we have on international business consultant, speaker, and author who has led organizational transformations at re- renowned companies around the world. It took Sarah 25 years and five therapists later until she was finally correctly diagnosed with bipolar 2. Now, in her new book, Brainstorm, From Broken to Blessed on the Bipolar Spectrum, Sarah tells her life-changing story to help end the stigma around bipolar. Sarah, how the hell are you? Hey, Tim. I'm doing good today. Thank, thank goodness. Every good day is a blessing, right? That is correct. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, but you're having a good day. I like to hear that. So I want to jump right into this because it's. I think it's the one that stands out the most is 25 years and five therapists later. Um you had a big breakdown at the age of 21. You were going into medical school senior year in Ivy League. Like, let's talk about that real quick because that is uh, that is kind of remarkable that it took uh, that long. And it's probably no fault in your own. I got to I got to assume. Yeah, no, and I even have to sorry to tweak what you just said a little bit because it was five psychiatrists, so oh. five MDs, five five psychiatrists who you know you would think should be able to diagnose this thing. And, yeah. And it was the fifth one, 25 years later, right? And I mean, that has everything in one sense, you know, you could say it's me because it took me a long time to be willing to go to a psychiatrist because of the stigma probably around that. And because I was resisting my family story, which we can talk about more later. Um, But when I finally did get there, it took five of them. And I I think, as you know, Tim, pretty sure from from your history as well, it was misdiagnosed because there's a bipolar spectrum. Right. And most most um, psychiatrists even today, I think, don't recognize or um, honor or agree to this idea of a bipolar spectrum. And certainly the vast majority of physicians and other, you know, healthcare professionals have never even heard of it. Like whenever you probably do this, too. But whenever I ask somebody, hey, have you ever heard of a bipolar spectrum? I go, what? You know, like nine, I think 99 out of 100 people that I've asked have never heard of it before. So it's consistently misdiagnosed because people don't know it's there. What did they think that you had? Right. So, um, so basically, this is the problem: is if you're if you're bipolar two, like me, which is Roman numeral two on this bipolar spectrum, right? Most people, when they hear bipolar, what do you think? Like, just if I said to you, "I'm bipolar," what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Yeah, it just goes. You go back and forth on your moods. You're two different people, pretty much. That, that I feel like that's right. The, there's the, manic. The there's depressed. There's mania. Yeah. Right. There's like wild sex sprees. You know, shopping sprees this yep. kind of thing. And then there's a crash. But with bipolar two, you don't see the mania, right? You have what's known as like, I'm a high energy person. You probably are too. So you have this high energy person, but so is everybody else I know. And then I would have this severe, severe incapacitating, incapacitating, life-threatening, um, you know, brutal, hellish depressions. So when I would go into any therapist or doctor or psychiatrist, and you show up looking depressed, which is, you know, lethargic, no affect, no joy in life, um, you know, maybe wanting to end it. They think, oh, she's depressed. And that's the regular old, you know, unipolar depression. Let's give her some Prozac or some other kind of um, standard antidepressant. But that's not me, right? That's the problem. You, 
you look depressed, you look like a regular, you know, clinically depressed person, you're misdiagnosed, you're given the wrong medication. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, of course. It makes sense to me, but maybe the people out there. Now, can you, in your words, can you explain the bipolar spectrum to somebody listening that might not know what that is? Yeah, I mean, I think of it like, I mean, now we know, you know, when I was growing up, who, who knew about an, uh, an autism spectrum or a sexuality spectrum? It's more like instead of black and white, either or, yes, no, there's a rainbow of colors, right? And so um, you could be really anywhere on that spectrum between just pure depressed and, you know, extremely wildly manic depressive. And then I suppose there's everything in between. And science really doesn't know. I mean, th those distinctions are not super clear. I, I, I say in my book, the brain is as vast as the universe and equally uncharted. So I think there's a lot of nuance that that people don't understand. But but there there are these various, you know, gradations of bipolar. And in my case, I'm sort of right in the middle what's known as bipolar two, just distinguish it from bipolar one, which is manic depressive. And there's variations along that theme. How was it growing up with manic uh, bipolar two, like having it, not knowing what it was, what did, what did it feel like in your head? What was going on? You know, so Tim, in my case, I had zero symptoms until I was 21. And it almost like, it was just a, a light switch flipped uh, almost literally on my 21st birthday. And come to find out with bipolar, there uh, one of the diagnostics is, did you have your first breakdown in your 20s? A lot of people will have their first breakdown in their 20s. Yep. Um, I grew up with a mother who was depressed uh, severely. And it turns out, in retrospect, she was also bipolar too, but we didn't know that. And my grandfather also is a lineage in our family. But I personally did not experience anything near depression until I was 21. And then, like I said, it was a total crash. And as a result, it was terrifying because I didn't recognize myself and I couldn't do stuff, basic stuff. What was the uh, moment that you're like, all right, I need to go find a therapist right now. And then with that, I mean, that first psychiatrist, uh, it's like, how did you keep on pushing yourself to go? Because I went through a, a bunch myself and it was just like so frustrating. And I think fighting to get through it is one thing, but just even finding help is like another battle that you just like, this is so exhausting. Like, how did you motivate yourself to start and to keep going? Right. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, thinking back to when I was 21, it, it was so clear that I needed help because like you mentioned, Ivy League going to med school. I mean, I was, you know, like a kind of a scholar, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was, an, I was an athlete. I was all that stuff. And, you know, I was acing calculus and physics and organic chemistry. Easy. And then the next day, Easy. like I literally, <laughs> yeah, really, no, really. And the next day, literally, I couldn't add two plus two. I mean, I was clear that my brain was broken. And sometimes people think depressed or bipolar, oh, you're sad. Well, no, you're sad because your brain doesn't work. <laughs> you know. Uh, and there was like, um, you know, I, I didn't want to get out of bed. I used to be very extroverted and love parties and stuff. I didn't want to see any of my friends, you know, didn't want the lights on, make it dark, uh, et cetera. You know, dragging myself to class if I could even get there. So it was pretty clear that I needed help. And I suppose, you know, because my mother had, you know, been depressed and had gone to psychiatrists and therapists and stuff. It wasn't completely foreign to me. And then I had some friends who were, you know, and I think the friends kind of said like, you know, you need to get some help here. So they kind of dragged me, one of them dragged me to her therapist. But then, like you said, he was a nice guy, but nothing changed and who wants to go. And then you have to drag yourself there. You're exhausted. Nothing happens. You pay money. You know, it goes on and on. 
Yeah, that's you that. Because you've been through it too, right? Oh, yeah. I just, I, I've been through so many different ones. And it's just like looking back, it is funny. And then sometimes I think, I'm like, how did I keep doing it? And I always think it's right. like what I know now, if I told myself earlier, that guy would have been like, no, I don't want to do this. It's just, yeah. it's just very interesting. Um, yeah. Like, how was that in Ivy League school and just like juggling with that? Did I, you think the pressure, like, was on to you as well being there? Cause like, and for me in school, I was not good at all. So it's, everyone gets hit with their own mental illness, no matter how well they perceive that they're doing good. Right. So someone yeah. saw you like, Oh, she, like she has it all. She's very smart. Like why is yeah. she sad? Yeah. Right. I mean, the, the kind of the timing was interesting cause I was almost done. I had like one class left. So I think if I hadn't had the one class, only one class left, I probably would have failed, flunked out. You know, I just couldn't, I couldn't, my brain didn't work. You know, and then, I mean, I actually did, Tim, I actually did end up a year later, you know, after the first depression was six months, I got better in quotes. I did actually go to medical school. I lasted two weeks because I was back depressed and I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. It wasn't that I didn't want to do it. I couldn't do it. Wow. And it's, you know, when you, when you're, when you're used to being like a high functioning person and then you have a total breakdown, it's, it's just terrifying, you know, and it's scary and it's depressing, exhausting. Um, you know, and there's all the demons that are talking to you. And, um, you know, it's not like I had demons in, in, in the sense of like a um, schizophrenic or something that hears different voices, but I just had this harsh judge, you know, it's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know, get your right. head together, that kind of thing. Right. Um, so. Do you remember the details behind your uh, first breakdown and like what that was like, if you don't mind uh, talking about that? No, I don't mind. It just, it's four decades, my friend. It's four I thought it was like, I thought it was like two years ago. Thank you, honey. I appreciate that. <laughs> That's right. 21 was two years ago. Um, but no, I am um, details. It's such a good question. I just, you know, in the book, I write about this, um, this movie called the soloist with Jamie Foxx. Did you ever see it? I've not. No, it's, it's a story of a real live um, guy. He, He's a musician. He's a brilliant musician like Juilliard. And, and he's, um, you know, he's he's going to the top of his field and he's in his early 20s and all of a sudden he can't play. Um, and, and you see his mind kind of getting fuzzy. And when I watched that movie, I just started crying, shivering, shaking. Luckily, my husband was sitting next to me um, to help me. But uh, I, I think, you know, I just remember, like I said, you know, not being able to get out of bed, not being able to do, you know, math or science, not wanting to see my friends, needing to have the room, room dark, not being able to do laundry, not being able to shop for food, not being able to cook, not being, and again, I'm an athlete, right? Yep. I was varsity field hockey recruit, um, you know, not even being able to do like, being all of a sudden totally uncoordinated. Like, you know, like if I was, or I was tennis, I played tennis in high school, you know, couldn't hit the ball. I mean, just the whole thing is like haywire, you know, like there's static in the radio. Um, and I can't explain it, but it's just, you know, it's, it's terrifying because it's, your brain's not working, but it's also exhausting. It's also humiliating, humiliating, you know, it's also, you just feel so sad because you know, you're 21 and all your buddies are partying and you can't feel it. And it's like, there's a wall between you and people. There's like a three foot wall between me and people that I'm usually very, like I said, affectionate, connected. My sids, my sids, kids say we run the sitcom here, you know, because people are coming and going all the time, um, and I can't connect with people, and there's no one I want to be with, but I don't want to be alone. Scared to be alone, but no one I want to be with. I remember I lived in Boston, I went to Brown and Providence, back and forth, right? So I mean, my parents were in Boston, 
So I'd go home, I think because the therapist was there. I drive up to Boston, barely get there, exhausted, don't remember how to drive. Go to the therapist, you know, you know, wanting to go home to some degree to get some so-called comfort from my family. As soon as I'm there, wanting to leave because I miss my friends. As soon as I'm back in Providence, I don't want to be there. Where else can I go? No place is home. You know, no place feels safe because you're not safe inside your own skin. Putting that wall up is like a thing that I would always do. It's like push people away, put a wall up. But I feel like it, I'm the same way in this regard. I feel like it almost explains bipolar perfectly. What you just said is I, I want to be alone, but I don't want to be alone. Like you yeah. just, it's, it's those feelings are too opposite and you juggle it right in the middle of you. And you're like, right. I don't know how to do this. I don't know why I do this. I don't know why I'm feeling this. And it, it that's, it's exhausting. It's really so yeah, completely exhausting. Like, and I would, you know, I, some people get buzzed. I think if they're bipolar, in my case, I'm very lethargic and like just so tired. You know, and in the book, I talk about a scene now. Go forward a bunch of years, and I have twins, and um, and I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to somehow make life normal for the twins, but I really can't. So I'm struggling. You know, like okay, we got to get the kid to soccer. How do you do uniforms? How do you do? You know, how do you sign up? How, it's all overwhelming. You know, okay, they need peanut butter and jelly. You go to the um, to the aisle in the in the supermarket. First, you have to figure out where the keys are. Then you have to figure out where to park. You're pretty sure you won't find your car again because you won't remember. Yeah. Then you go down, try to find the peanut butter aisle. And I remember sitting there for like literally an hour because your brain can't sequence. So it's like, well, do I get the local peanut butter or the foreign peanut butter? Do I get the organic or the not organic? Do I get the creamy or the crunchy? Yeah. You know, do I get the plastic one or the glass one? And all those choices, your brain can't, can't, um, what's the word? Like decipher, I suppose executive function's gone, you know? So then, you know, try to deal with all that with kids. And then I, they're just, you're so fried. Um, get back to the house and just collapse on the, on the bed, you know? And um, so these kind, I remember one time I literally, literally, and I'm not exaggerating, took me three hours to unpack two bags of groceries. I've been there. That's like with anything. And it's three hours because it's, I mean, it's ins really insane when you think about it, like literally. Um, but I, you, you, my brain couldn't do it. I you won't remember. That's another thing. Memory, right? Tim. Yeah. That's what I was about to ask. Like my memory. Sometimes I'm like, it's like you probably go into a room and you stand there for a second. You're like, what am I doing? <laughs> All the time. Or, you know, in the winter, forget it. You can't do winter because there's gloves, there's hats. So, you know, we're in New England, right? You and me, we're from the same town, go Red Sox. Yeah. Um, there's, you got to figure out your gloves, your hat, your boots, your socks, your uh, something for your neck. Then where's the keys? It was too much. I mean, it, it's just like more than I could organize. I have um, so many loose gloves everywhere. I got one in my car that doesn't match with one in my pocket. I'm like, where are all my gloves that match? It's always just one. Yeah. So it's just, it's just, and people don't understand, you know, how your brain, I often would say, like I said earlier in this hour, it's not just an emotional thing. It's really a brain that is broken, yeah. right? It's a broken brain. If you had a broken arm or if you had a kidney disease, or if you had a heart disease, or if you had, you know, your insulin's not working, oh, that's a physical thing. But when it's your brain, people think, oh, you know, they need a psychiatrist, you know, or they need to do their therapy around their mother. Well, you might need to do your therapy around your mother, but that has really nothing to do with a broken brain. Right. Right. I mean, the brain's broken right now. Um, and, and that's the one thing that, you know, later in the book, because it took me, it took me a long time to be willing to accept to, that I needed to take medication. Right. 
You know that one, Tim? Oh, yeah. It took I do. Me a long time to accept it for a lot of reasons. You know, like I, I didn't want to be my mother who I thought was dependent. I judged her. Not anymore. God bless. She's in the next world. But um, when I was younger, I used to judge her for how you're so dependent on those drugs and can't you just get your act together, right? It was yeah. like mercil- mercilessly judgmental until it happened to me, payback time. Um, but uh, yeah, so I just, I resisted that for a lot, a lot of years. Now let's talk about the book a little bit. Brain Brainstorm. Great, great name for a book. You, you, perfect. And is it, is this your first book? Actually not. No, I've written a couple books. Um, I, I wrote a, a co-authored a professional book on sustainability because that's my, you know, my professional work was consulting in um, sustainability and corporations. So I authored that book called The Necessary Revolution. And then I wrote um, a little book uh, that's a spiritual book on the practice of the Sabbath. It's called Secrets of the Seventh Day about unplugging. And it turns out unplugging is a really important practice for those of us with brain challenges. Um, but so actually I have like a corporate book, a spiritual book, and now there's brainstorm. <laughs> you get the Trinity books. I like it now. Yeah. yeah. Talk a little bit about uh brainstorm, what it's about. So brainstorm it, from broken to blessed on the bipolar spectrum. And it is, um, a memoir that's actually been 15 years in the writing. I started in 07 and it's really, um, the purpose of the book is three things. One is to end the stigma, which you're working on too. Two is to save lives because the wrong diagnosis ends up, you know, uh, can be lethal sometimes. And then three is to um, optimize healing, to provide people with what I call PECs, practices for healthy brain. We talked about PECs. It stands for physical, emotional, creative, and spiritual. So to give people really practical tools for how to deal with what we've got here. Um, And, but I mostly, yes, save lives and end the stigma. And I started with this memoir. I'm a writer. I love to write. So one of the therapists at the very end, um, she's name's Anne. She's awesome. And I still, we still use her, my husband and I, from time to time. It's like, you know, um, if you need like, you know, what is it called when you get the hammer in emergency, break the, you know, break, break, break the glass. glasses in case yeah. of emergency. So she's there on call for us and, you know, in times of urgency, awesome. Um, but at the time we had just, I had just gotten my diagnosis. I had just been on the meds for like three or four months. It finally got me healthy. And um, I had been in going in there with my husband, Joe, because, you know, he'd been a rock, God bless him, during my illness. And now that I was better, we kind of needed to reboot our relationship. And so she was recommended to us. We went to see her. She's awesome. But there was one day that he couldn't make it. And um, I said, you want me to tell you the real story? My real story? Yeah. So I told her my whole story. And she said, oh my God, you need to write this because my colleagues don't know about a bipolar two or bipolar spectrum. Therapists don't know. Teachers don't know. Coaches don't know. And I'm so sorry that I didn't know because a lot of these therapists, I I had an earlier therapist who was, she was awesome. She was an elder. Everybody loved and respected her. She was in tears after when she found out, she said, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that this existed. Right. I thought you were just depressed. So I thought you needed to do X, Y, Z when that was going to actually make you worse. Um, so anyway, it was Ange who in, in her encouraged me to write the book. And then you might say, well, why did it take you 15 years to publish it? You want to know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is it? The, the issue there was that it had a lot of my mom's story in it and she was still alive. And my kids were little. Yeah. So I wanted to wait till I felt like they were old enough to give me permission to be out. Right. And that my mom 
was either gone to the next world or would also give me permission. She actually did give me permission before she died. And she actually gave me her blessing because she suffered a lot with this disease. And she was like, get it out there. So that was awesome. I'm getting chills thinking about that right now. And then my kids, um, when they finally, you know, got to be like 17 and there was one other piece to stop me if I'm going on too long. Oh, no, keep going. I like this. One other piece to this story was that I had kind of put the book away because I'm waiting for mom to go on to the next world, waiting for my kids to get old enough. And 10 years or so go by. um, And then I'm having I'm having a burger and a beer with this friend, my once a year burger and beer. Um, we've been paddling that day and uh, she's usually really upbeat. And, you know, we're like, okay, well, so how you doing? And she goes, not so good. What's up? Um, she said, my, my nephew, my, my sister's son really tragically committed suicide this summer. I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. What happened? Well, we think he was bipolar. And immediately I go, I am too. And I don't usually come out like that, Tim. I don't know if yeah. you do, but I know in those days before I was out, I don't usually, didn't tell people. But I just felt like, you know, I just came out like, oh, my God, I, I need you to know I am, too. So we got into a little bit and I told her for some reason that I had written some stuff about it. And she goes, I want to see it. And I said, what? And she go, she said, do you know what I do? And I said, no. She said, I, I help people publish their memoirs. I'm like, you're kidding me. So I sent her this excerpt. I said, I think it kind of sucks. She said, I'll be the judge of that. So I sent it to her. The next day she writes me back and she goes, this is really good. This needs to get out there. If my family had had it, my nephew might still be alive. And that just made me cry, you know, wow. and then, and in his honor, I will edit it for fun. That's awesome. So then I thought like the spirits were talking to me because that was after my mom had passed and I felt like, okay, you know, I mean, I don't mean this literally, but it's kind of like, okay, God wants you to do this. And then, um, so it was like four or five months later, I was driving with my kids and my husband to Florida, a long drive, you know, got them off the, they were off their phones and I told him the same story I just told you. And, um, but I said, you guys, I'm on a dilemma because on the one hand, we could get this book out there. It might save lives. It might, you know, all the stuff and the stigma. On the other hand, I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of the stigma. Like, what if I lose my livelihood? What if, you know, my clients, what if, what if, what if, what do you think? And they're twins and they simultaneously go, mom, you have to do this. You know, this is the most important thing you could do. Do it now. You know, they were like cheerleading. And they're like, we don't care about the stigma. I mean, everybody in our class is cutting or on drugs or whatever. Our yeah. generation doesn't care. You guys care. We don't care. They said, you have to do it. So, you know, I was like so touched by that. And here we are. That's awesome. That's a great story. I think it, I, I was going to say, did it take you long to uh, finally write it? Because you finally put the groceries away? or Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but then it was better and I could do groceries. You know, I mean, the, th- the thing is about me is that's a really bipolar because when I'm well, I'm really high functioning. You know, like most people say, I have more energy than most people. But yep. um, when I'm not, I can't put away the groceries. But the, the um, so the book has been like a labor of love. And since I had that conversation with her, um, and I'm not mentioning her name because her nephew, uh, two years, two years from that conversation to it being published. Wow. That's not fantastic. You should be uh, very proud of yourself. It's like everything happens for a reason. You know what I mean? Like you just go and had your burger and beer and look where it, look where it led you. I know. And I am really proud of the book, Tim. I'm really, I mean, I have to say like this whole thing with the stigma, I ended up doing a GoFundMe campaign to help me with publication costs. And that was the first time I was finally really out. I'm like, okay, here we go. It's going to yeah, be out yeah. on the internet, you know? 
And I was like nervous, like I was feeling shaky. And I just got back the nicest feedback from everybody. You know, it's like, thank you so much for your vulnerability, for your courage. You know, my mother, my sister, my kid, my uncle, my niece, my husband, mm-hmm. you know, me. Um, and so it's been actually really healing to start telling the truth. You probably have that experience too, right? Yeah, exactly. When you uh, like finally, like you say, come out with it. It's, I realize not, no one's rooting against you. They're like, right. they're happy. And like, you do have those people that come out of the woodwork that like hide. And I felt bad for those people because I did that. Like I never said anything to anybody, blah, blah, blah. And then yeah. someone would come out and tell me like, Oh, you helped me like go see a therapist or go talk to somebody. And that felt good. And it's, it's what we're like meant to do is like, just put ourselves out there and, and just help people. I know exactly. And it's, it's um exactly. I haven't had anybody you know, have, of course, the people who are going to give you negative feedback don't, but, oh, but it's yeah. been this overwhelming thing, you know, and younger people, you know, in their thirties, forties, like, like your age, maybe you're not even there yet. I don't know. I'm 35. Uh, younger women coming to me and saying, you know, you're showing me the way. Thank you so much. Younger colleagues in my, in my work. So that was beautiful. And then the, the most touching one to me was um, my son, before he went off to college, he, um, he read it in fall. And he said, mom, first book I've read since middle school, which I was a little worried about that. But um, he like you could see him and, he, you know, his page turner. And then like two months later, he calls me from school. He's at UC Berkeley and he goes, um, he says, mom, can you send me the book like right away? I think my new best friend, uh, Jamie, might have what you have. So send him the book. Um, long story short about eight months later after COVID, we could finally get there. I meet Jamie. We sit on the grass at school for like two hours. He's peppering me with questions. Um, You know, thank you so much. I didn't know page 37, page 120. And then um, he wrote me this testimony for the book that says, um, you know, for the first, uh, by page three, I was crying. And this is this like big frat boy, right? By page three, I was crying. It was the first time someone understood what it was like inside my brain. You know, and that's exactly what I want to be doing. Uh, and then s- six months later, I meet his mom. She's they're British. You don't really think of British people as being so effusive, right? Yeah, yeah. Mom. And this woman throws her arms around me, starts sobbing. She says, "You saved, you saved my son's life." That's awesome. You know. So for that, we do this work, right, Tim? Exactly, exactly. And then you're reaching everybody. Like you just said, you had like a frat guy or whatever. It's like, who knew that you would reach somebody like that? Um, But it is funny with the British people because I've talked to a lot of people from over the pond and like their mental health system is like severely broken too. But they, they're like, I feel like they're a lot more opening with the, uh, with the mental health than like us Americans. If it, it could be just the way I perceive it. Like we have it bad too, but not, not saying that, but I feel like, I, I meet a lot of males too that are like more open. Like the male stigma over here is very tough to uh, to go through. So reaching oh, yeah. out to somebody in college, like that's a that's a huge win, right? Probably, yeah. Well, he's British, so maybe that's why he would reach out to my son. And then you know, and my son, I'm proud of him, you know, for being a good support for this guy. But probably because you know he'd been through it and he'd read the book. Good um, parenting. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> proud of those guys. They're in the now, back there. How do you manage it? How do you manage your bipolar now? Um, well, right now I, I have I, two medications. I'm on Lamictal and lithium and it took a long time to get that right. And just pray that it stays right. Cause you never yeah. know, right, Tim, it's like one day at a time, you know, today's a good day. Thank, thank goodness. Right. Yeah. But, um, but I've been stable on that for quite some time now. Um, and I, the Lamictal plus the lithium, 
my husband, master of metaphor, he said, well, maybe it's kind of like bricks and mortar because one alone, the other alone, but together they work really well. Yeah. And I'm just lucky. I don't have side effects from them. You know, so far, these are beautiful drugs. <laughs> I yeah. love them. <laughs> yeah. I'm on Lamictal then, as well. Um, yeah. I love this drug. And then, um, and then in addition, because these are mood stabilizers, it's different yep. than antidepressants. They have less side effects. Um, and then, like I, I think we've mentioned before, PECs, I do a gazillion self-care. I'm just, I'm like a drill sergeant on the self-care. And people who don't know about my, um, about my, you know, my brain, my bipolar brain, they go, how are you so disciplined? I'm like, if you knew was on the other side of me not taking care of myself, you would be too. Yeah. So we could go all into that. That's a topic for a whole other, you know, a whole other book, but it's in part two of the book, um, physical, emotional, creative, and spiritual practices. I like that. I'm taking pecs with me. Now, where can everybody buy the book? Um, well, you can get it. You can get it by going to my website, which I think there's a link under this um, yep. uh, under this podcast, right, Tim? Uh, which is sarahschley.com, how you spell my name, no H-S-A-R-A, then S-C-H-L-E-Y, sarahschley.com. You can go to that, to the bookstore there um, and click on that, or you can get it on Amazon. Um, you can get it on pretty, pretty much any of those other, I think, uh, Kindle, et cetera. I mean, Nook, uh, anywhere else. All those and as we got an ebook and we have an audiobook too. So it's a hardcover, softcover, ebook, and audiobook. Whatever I, you like. I think audiobooks are great. That'd be perfect for me. I'm gonna get the audiobook because I okay. so my bipolar, I have ADHD on top of it. So I don't really can sit still and read all day. But if I'm driving mm-hmm. on my commute, that's what that's perfect. That's awesome that you have that version. That's great. I'm so glad. Yeah, it's actually kind of cool because it's like one of my best friends. Um, he's a that's what he does, he's an audio engineer. So I was able to do it through Peter Acker out here in Western Mass. That's awesome. Now, uh, why should people buy your book? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I think everything I said was like, end the stigma, save lives. And, um, and, and the PECS practices are really going to work for anyone with a brain, <laughs> yep. but they're going to work for anyone. You know, we have this massive, sadly, pandemic of mental health challenges right now, right? In this country, anxiety, depression, you know, the surgeon, I don't know if you saw this, Tim, the Surgeon General just last week came out declaring a mental health emergency among our youth because the incidence of suicide attempts are through the roof since COVID. And, you know, you can't tell kids to isolate. That's, mm-hmm. that's the opposite of what they're supposed to do right now. So uh, at, this, at that stage of development. So I think for anyone with anxiety, depression, or any kind of mental health challenge, the book's going to be good because uh, there's all these practices in the end you can you can implement. But really, for anyone, you know, I say in one of the, uh, I have like a little YouTube video where it says, you know, are you or someone you know devastatingly depressed? Have you tried everything and nothing's working? You know, if this has been persistent, painful, and nothing's working, it may be because you're on the bipolar spectrum and you didn't know there was a bipolar spectrum or you didn't know that somebody else might be. Yeah, well, read this book and find out. Um, it's going to explain it. So, Perfect. Now let's wrap up with this. I uh, I always like to ask my guests this question. So now we'll go with the Red Sox analogy. You're coming up to the <laughs> plate. Or are you going out and having a, like going out for uh, consultation, doing your speaking, coming out with your book? What song would be playing when Sarah Schley walks out? Well, first it goes, Yankees suck. <laughs> That's where it starts off right before the music <laughs> drops. Tim and I are from the same Red Sox nation. We're in the bleachers uh, yep. after COVID, and and you just hear Yankees suck. They're not playing the Yankees. Oh, it never happens anyway, like that. <laughs> my my walk up song is um is is Brave by Sarah Bareilles. Do you know it? 
I don't. Oh, it's awesome. You got to just look up Brave by Sarah Brailes. You know, she just, it goes, say what you want to say and let the words fall out. Yep. You know okay. That, right? I know it now. I'm so, I love music, okay. but I never I know the names of songs. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. So that's like, yeah, I love Brave. Perfect. Yeah, I like I like asking That's these questions because I always learn about new music and I put like a little playlist together of everybody's uh, choices. So it's good. I like that yeah, a lot. Check out Brave, and I got that for my kids. So, you know. Well, now let's talk about three things that you're grateful for today. What would they be? I'm grateful for you. Oh wow, that's that's a first. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful that you found what you needed to get to today because I know it's not easy. So power to you, Tim. I'm grateful that, that you're doing this work. Yeah, I'm grateful you're doing this work to help heal people. Thank you so um, much. That was really nice. Yeah, absolutely. Always my kids. Love them. They're terrific. They're good human beings. I'm grateful they're healthy. Grateful they're out there doing good things in the world, just about to turn 20. And really, because, you know, given what is out, what's happening for kids these days, it's just I'm happy they're, they're, they're motivated and engaged in the world. And I'm grateful my husband, he had a cancer diagnosis two years ago. He's doing really well. Thank God for Mass General Hospital doctors. Seriously. So um, yeah, I'm really grateful that he's doing it. He's healthy and you know, it's a beautiful day. And every day that my brain is good, Tim, is a good day. So I'm grateful for today. Those are three great things and not just because I was one of them, but that was a great, <laughs> three things you're grateful for. And yeah, nothing but positivity and good things for your kids and your husband. That's great. Um, Sarah Schley, everybody out there, go get Brainstorm from Broken to Blessed on the Bipolar Spectrum. Sarah, you were a great guest. I'm so glad we met. Go Red Sox. You're an awesome human being. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. I hope you have a great day. Back at you, Tim. All that. podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. If you are feeling suicidal, please dial 911.